So five or six years ago, we started a, a new tradition and with Southwest Christian Church. Uh, I found in life that many of the traditions that we have get kind of started accidentally when we don't even know we're starting a tradition. But we started participating in uh, Christmas in Coweta, and it has been a phenomenal blessing to all of us that have been able to participate. So you have an excuse for coming in late this morning. I'm not going to read you every word that's on this page, but it explains to you all about Christmas in Coweta. But when we came to Coweta County, we wanted to have a presence in the community where we were known as a church that served the community, and this is one of the ways we do it. And this year, we're going to have the opportunity to be a blessing to 130 different children and families by presenting them with Christmas gifts. There are instructions on this piece of paper. You can read it. tells you exactly what to do, gives you suggestions, tells you when to have the gifts here. That's all you need to do is go out there and sign up. And it's an opportunity for some of us that like shopping, not me, but maybe some of you, to kind of do some shopping about picking out a family that you would uh, really feel like you would relate to. We want to give these gifts in the name of Jesus, and we want the, the folks that uh, do the giving and, do the, and, and receive the gifts to know that it is a gift from God as we celebrate his birth. So I'm going to ask that we pray for just a moment, asking the Lord to bless our gifts as we gather them up over the next few weeks. Lord, thank you for the privilege of participating in a ministry like Christmas in Coweta. I pray specifically that you will open the hearts of the folks in our congregation and the folks that will receive these gifts, that as we give, we'll give in the name of Jesus a cup of cold water to those that might not have a good Christmas were it not for the blessings that we're allowed to participate in. We give you honor and glory for the privilege of doing this. In Jesus' name, amen. It's who you are. It's who you are. 
this morning. Y'all sound beautiful. I don't think I've ever heard you sing that loud before. Your heart and leave me in your 
encourage you one more time. And I
forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let's sing that bridge one more time. It's just one of those songs where the bridge just feels so good. I don't know if y'all have ever read the articles about uh, worship leaders getting trapped in a bridge. can be seated. Thank y'all very much. Man, y'all don't know how good this is. These guys are so gifted, all four of y'all. Thank you. But they, uh, yeah, they they had to pull this together because Kevin's not here today because Kevin passed out in a restaurant last night and uh, had to go to the hospital and got some tests. And uh, he probably is going to be really mad that I'm telling y'all that, but I want y'all to pray for him. But, you know, we guys, we know we're fine. We're going to rub some dirt on it. We're fine. But um, anyway, he's a little concerned. Think maybe got dehydrated or something. But uh, just pray for him. But that's why he's not here today. But, again, these guys just step right in and uh, really, really appreciate that. But be praying for Kevin. Um, hopefully everything's okay with him. <clears throat> um, we're going to finish up, actually, our, I don't know, this is not the end of, First uh, Corinthians, there's still a few more chapters, but if y'all remember, probably 15 is probably my favorite chapter. And uh, a little, uh, a few weeks ago, um, Isaiah preached from that, preached us a great sermon from that that chapter. But we're going to go into um, Advent next week. Will be our first Sunday in Advent. Can y'all believe that Christmas is almost here? It's unbelievable and crazy year. Um, but we are going to finish up this series today. Has God left the building? Godly wisdom in a world that knows better. And if you've been here, if you haven't been here, that's okay too. But we've been going through this letter Paul wrote to the first, uh, the, the Corinthians, his first letter to them, a group of Christ followers in that culture, first century, who were learning to try to navigate through their culture and what it meant to be a Christian and all the different things that were happening in that culture. And uh, we've, we've kind of had some controversial things that we've looked at that, that Paul was not afraid of. He just had to call people out on these things. Hey, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it calls for you to change, to transform your life. And that needs to mean every part of your life. And so he's had to talk to him about some serious issues. And this one may not seem as serious, but it's a, a, a serious issue nevertheless. So uh, we're going to talk about love today and... I want you to think about for a minute, what is the most profound act or action of love you've experienced in your life? Think about that for a minute. The most profound act or action of love that you've ever experienced in your life. 
That may be hard for some of y'all to come up with. Somebody came at me after the first service and told me something. I'm really glad they shared it. It was really personal and, and, and very meaningful to them, but they immediately had something that came to their mind. Um, maybe it was uh, someone that did something specifically for you that just really meant something and still does to you. And I would guess we all have some great stories that either we've heard or we've experienced in our own life. And I would also bet those stories involve um, someone doing something that they absolutely didn't have to do and they absolutely did not get anything from doing it, but they did it simply because they just loved and cared for somebody. Those are the kind of stories that we're talking about. One of the stories that comes to my mind, true story from uh, World War II in a Japanese prisoner of war camp, there were some allied troops that were together and Part of their job every day was just simply going out and digging, you know, this war. They just wore them down, just digging with a shovel every day. And at the end of the day, they would collect all the shovels and count them. And uh, this particular day, a shovel was missing. And the Japanese uh, commander of the camp says, we're missing a shovel and I'm going to start killing one person every minute till somebody tells me, steps forward and tells me what you did with that shovel. And uh, he starts to kill someone. A guy steps forward and goes, I'm the one who stole the shovel. And the guy in front of everybody just beats him severely till he literally kills him in front of all the other prisoners of war. And then he says, well, we hope we're not going to have any more problems with this. And uh, the guys pick up their dead comrade and they recount the shovels and they're all there. There were never any shovels missing in the first place. But you think, why would someone step forward and willingly give their life so that everybody else could live? That, that boggles my mind. I, I don't know that I have that in my capacity to even do that, but this person did. And that's the kind of love that we're going to talk about today that Paul is going to share with us in this 13th chapter of of 1 Corinthians. Last week we looked at Paul's humorous illustration that he used of the body parts talking to one another, you know, like the foot can't say, if the hand, because you're not the hand, you can't do whatever, all those kind of things, kind of a humorous illustration. And the point was that Paul was trying to make was that in the church, the body of Christ, wherever we are a part of, that everybody is gifted and everyone is valuable and has a functioning gift that God has given you to use to build people up, but also to glorify God and to point to the world, this is who God is. The God that we serve, the God that we worship, this is who He is. And even in the Old Testament, that the people of Israel were supposed to reflect and show the rest of the world, this is who God is. You can see that by the way we treat each other, by the way we do everything in our lives. You see who God is and you see what kind of relationship we have. And Paul's saying, even though now we have a new covenant and we're all a part of God's people, that we are supposed to show the rest of the world what it means, not just the name we carry, Christian, but that in every aspect of our lives, people see who Jesus was. And that's reflected in how we behave and act on a daily basis. And Paul was stressing, if you remember, not disunity, because there was some disunity going on in this Corinthian church. There were some things that were happening there. But he says we have to have unity. And unity doesn't mean uniformity. That doesn't mean everybody's got to be the same, because we understand there's great diversity within the church, but there needs to always be unity within that diversity. And all people in the body of Christ should have a mutual concern and love for every other member within the body. And uh, that body functions best when we're doing that. And it reflects Christ like God always intended. 
So this week we're going to continue where Paul left off in our letter last week in uh, chapter 12. Uh, if you were here, you may remember that. If not, that's all right. But at the end of chapter 12, Paul said this, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you the most excellent way. So Paul's saying, hey, everybody has a gift, but in this church in Corinth, there were some people who were desiring gifts that really weren't their gift, but they wanted that gift because it kind of made them look better. It made them look more spiritual. It was like an out front kind of gift, and it pointed to them, and they were like, yeah, that's the gift I want. But Paul's going, but that's not your gift. You shouldn't want someone else's gift just so you can look good in front of people. That's not the point of this. And so Paul is trying to speak specifically to them to say, hey, you need to desire the greater gifts, and I'm going to share that with you in this most excellent way. So we're going to jump right in in chapter 13, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now Paul is emphasizing the focus, uh, is the goal, uh, the focus of the goal of the gifts is love. It's not just the gift for the, the sake of the gift. Now you might be going, this is Thanksgiving. Why aren't you preaching on Thanksgiving? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you're going to need love as you go to your family dinners, aren't you? Because we all got crazy in our families, don't we? We all got somebody that's going to bring up politics and we're going to go, oh no, you know, and that's not going to be a good subject. So I heard somebody say this week, if somebody in your family that's on the opposing view of you wants to bring up politics at dinner, you just politely either listen and don't say anything or you politely excuse yourself and get you a couple of desserts and just fill your mouth up so you don't say anything. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a good idea to do. But Paul is talking about, hey, this is the more excellent way. This is what I want you to think about. Everybody has a gift, and don't try to have a gift because somebody else has that gift, and they look cool, or they're in front of everybody, or they look spiritual. No, you have been given your specific gift, and all of them are uh, for a specific purpose in the body of Christ. But there has to attitude behind that, and that's what he's talking about. Now, in the English language, we have one word for love. It's just love. 
But in the Greek language, they had more than one. Because we understand in the English language how we talk about things. Our love for God. I love God. And we understand, well, I understand that kind of love. I love my wife. I love my kids. We understand that. I love uh, this vacation spot. I love this favorite food. I love whatever it is I'm going to eat that's special on Thursday. I love when, you know, grandma makes that or mom makes that. We understand that. I love my favorite sports team. We all understand when we say those loves that those are different, even though we don't have a different word. But the Greeks had more than one word. You may have heard four, but I've heard there was at least eight different words for love in the Greek language, and they understood that. I'm just going to share a few of them. Eros was one word for love. And as you can understand, maybe it described, as we might guess from the word itself, it was an erotic love, a sexual type love. So when you said eros, people knew what you were talking about. Oh, that kind of love. There was a, a, a word called storge, and this was a, a, a word that refers to the family love that you would have for your parents, for, for uh, kids to their parents, or their parents for their kids, or between other people in your family in general, storge-type love. And when you said that, people go, oh, talking about family love. And then there's phileo, which is the thir- uh, another word, the third one I'm talking about. It speaks of this brotherly friendship or affection, a type of deep friendship. And then we've all had those where we have a friend that we've had all kind of special times with and great conversations with, and we understand. So when you said phileo, love, the, oh, understand that. Philadelphia comes from this, the city of brotherly love. People would understand that. But then there's this word called agape. And when you look in the original Greek translation of the Bible, when Paul's talking in this 13th chapter, he says agape every single time. This is the kind of love you're supposed to have. Um, David Gusick describes um, that agape love in this way. Listen to what he says. It is a love that loves without changing. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting some sort of a, a repayment for that love. It is a love so great that it can be given, listen, to the unlovable or the unappealing. That's the kind of love agape love is. It is a love that loves even when it's rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment of that love again. And it it gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. And Alan Redpath, another commentator, says, We get our English word agony from this word, and it means the actual absorption of our being into one great passion. So when we love like that, it's just this this absorption of our being into that one passion that we love so much. And it can be defined as sacrificial, a giving, an absorbing kind of love. And the world, the word has little to do with just an emotional feeling or a thought or an abstract thought. It has much to do with self-denial, action for another person. It's not just feelings. It's not just emotions. It's action with those feelings and with those emotions. Now notice Paul gives us Um, At least three examples of gifts that I would guess Paul has seen in the church that people want. They may not necessarily have it, but they want it because it's an out front kind of gift. It's a gift that kind of brings yourself kind of to the forefront. People go, oh, wow, I can't believe that that person has that gift. I wish I had that gift. So he specifically uh, starts talking about those. Um, uh, And it brings attention or glory to them. And Paul said, that's not what it's about. God gifted you your gift for a specific purpose. And it doesn't need to be somebody else's. It doesn't always have to be out front. And that doesn't cause unity, but disunity when you try to be something that you're not. 
So Paul, notice he puts himself in here. He says, if I have. So he's kind of saying he's drawing the attention to him. He's not like trying to call somebody out and embarrass them. But he's just saying, listen to this. He goes, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have agape love. He says, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, there's two types of tongue. There's the tongues of men. That means I may be able to speak different languages. And if there's somebody in the church that day from a different uh, background or culture and they don't understand the sermon. I don't know if you've ever been in a church like that. I was in a church one time where a family was there and uh, they were, uh, I think they were Spanish and I was going, oh man, I feel so bad. They could not speak English. I feel so bad for them. They can't hear anything the preacher's saying. And all of a sudden, I saw a lady in the church who was a Spanish teacher went and sat near them and she was translating for them through the whole sermon. I was like, that is an amazing thing to watch in the church. She understood that. And God put them there for that reason, obviously for that day. But then there's the tongues of angels he speaks about. Maybe some of y'all get a little nervous when we talk about speaking in tongues in church. And you're like, oh, what is that? Is somebody going to start handling snakes next or something? You know, I'm not making fun of that. That is a gift. But that was a specific kind of a prayer language that only that person understood in speaking to God about that. But when you don't understand it and you hear someone doing it, it makes you kind of go, what in the world? But these were some of the gifts that people thought was something they needed to have because it made them look super spiritual. But Paul says if you don't have agape love, if you don't have that kind of love you need, it's like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You remember when your kids, maybe uh, when you were growing up, they would get the pots and pans out and do a little band. you remember that? And start clanging them. And it was fun for about 30 seconds. And then you were like, okay, you're driving me crazy, you know. A resounding gong. Now, we've heard of a gong, but just a gong on stage, gonging over and over again, that's irritating. That's annoying. Uh, a cymbal over and over and over again. But when it's, with another, when it's with a band, when it's with an orchestra, and it's brought in at the perfect timing with that gong or that cymbal, it's a beautiful thing. But just by itself... And if it doesn't have love, he's saying, it can be annoying. It's like a, a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. And then he says, if I have the gift of prophecy, which is not just preaching, but it's preaching and maybe also expressing to people what the future holds because of God's promises, that kind of prophecy. And if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, that kind of person, if I have all those things. And notice he says, faith that can move mountains. Where did that come from? Well, that came from Jesus' teaching, as y'all know, in the Gospels. Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and that was a tiny seed in that culture that they understood, if you have just that little amount of faith, he says, you can move mountains. And so um, Paul here is reflecting what Jesus said in his teaching and is continuing that teaching. But he says, if I have all those things, that gift of preaching and teaching, and I can understand these mysteries and these um, all this knowledge, and that was really important in this Greek culture, in this Roman culture, about knowledge and all those kind of things. And if I have this incredible faith that can move mountains, but I don't have agape love, he says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. It doesn't matter. I don't connect or inspire people with it. It's just for me, then I'm nothing. So Paul is showing us the importance of having that agape love. And he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but no agape, I've gained nothing. But yeah, didn't you help those people that you gave stuff to? It says you gave all that you possessed to the poor. Yes, that did help them. But you, if you were doing it for the wrong reasons and with the wrong attitude, he says, you didn't gain anything. 
And you have to understand that. So some people were thinking of these specific gifts as something that was out front and important. He's saying, yes, those are important, but they're not the greatest things. And don't try to be something that you're not because without the right attitude, without that agape love, they are meaningless. And we think about Jesus said this one time in some of his teachings. He said, some of you will say to me at the end of times, Lord, didn't you remember that I prophesied for you? Don't you remember that I helped the poor? Don't you remember I did this? And he says, to some of those people, I will say, away from me. I never knew you. And you're like, what? Is that possible? And he said, yeah, your attitude, that relationship with God has to be sincere and authentic. It can't be just something we're doing to try to make ourselves look good. So knowing that, we can try to grasp how the next part of this passage where Paul says this agape is this. It's not a feeling. It's not a concept. It's something in action that you do. And then he's going to describe also agape is not these other things. And he's going to describe specifically some of these things it is not. But all these things he describes are actions. They're not just feelings. And they're not just about yourself. It has to do with other people. So verses 4 through seven, you remember, love is patient, love is kind. How many of y'all had this read at your wedding ceremony, possibly? Raise your hand, anybody? Okay, yeah, there's a few hands up there. I remember that. It was read at mine, okay? It's something that's read at a lot of... When I do weddings, a lot of people request this to be read because it's a, a beautiful passage. But he starts with two things. Love is, and he said the first thing is patient. And that's true. Somebody that's truly loving is a patient person. They allow time to pass as you process things. They don't try to pressure you or, or force you into making a decision. Hurry up, make a decision, and they're not complaining. You haven't decided about that yet? Come on. That's called patience, and we understand that. We appreciate when someone lets us have time to process and doesn't push us and doesn't complain. One of my favorite passages uh, about patience is from Peter in the letter that he wrote to the churches in uh, his second letter, 2 Peter 3, 9. And Peter understood this because Jesus was so patient with him personally. And he said this. He said, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants everybody to experience that. And Peter's saying he is that kind of. He does, he does uh, uh, exemplify that kind of love, that agape love. So love is patient, and then love is kind. We understand what genuine, kind people do. They're nice. They're sympathetic. They're thoughtful. They're compassionate. They're considerate to another person or group, and they realize before they say something or do something that there's other people involved here, and they're not just thinking about them. They're thinking about other people. That's a kind person. They think about that. So he says, uh, you know, love is patient, agape love is patient, it is kind. And then he says there's eight things that it is not. And then he goes through that list. It does not envy. You know what envy is? Is that a happy thought? When somebody's envious? That's not a good thought. Having jealous or resentful feelings or thought. He says agape love doesn't have that. It's not there. It does not boast. It doesn't brag or claim or assert its self-praise. It's not proud, full of pride, all about me. It does not dishonor others. It doesn't shame someone. It doesn't humiliate. It doesn't degrade another person or another group. It's not self-seeking, just looking out for me and what I can get out of this. It's not easily angered, quick to be incensed or enraged or irritated. No one likes that or feels loved when someone has that kind of thing going on in their lives. And it keeps no record of wrongs. It forgives and really tries to forget and move on with the relationship. 
Love does not delight in evil. That means it doesn't take satisfaction in sinful, immoral, or malicious behavior. When we see something that's definitely sinful or evil, we just go, that hurts our heart. It breaks our heart and go, why would someone do that? And so this is what he says, this is what agape love is not, those things. And then Paul shares at the last part of that, five things that love does. And for them, he says, always. He says, it always rejoices with the truth. That means you get a sense of joy when the truth comes out and somebody discovers truth and you go, yes, you get it now. Like a teacher trying to teach a student and they finally go, oh, I get it now. And you see that truth finally getting through in there and you get a joy and a sense of satisfaction from that. Or maybe when justice is served, when the truth comes out and finally justice is served from someone um, who has had some injustice done against them. It rejoices in the truth. It always protects defends, it shelters from harm or deception. That is agape love. It always trusts, it believes in, it has confidence in, it has great expectations of that person or that situation, always trusts. Then it always hopes, it always anticipates good or great things to come. No matter what the situation, no matter how bad things have been, agape love hopes for the future is going to be better. And always perseveres, always endures, presses on, continues in spite of the circumstances. You keep going forward. You hear me, don't you, Diane? You know about that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, it's true. We understand it. So this is agape love. And when we read that four through seven, those verses, somebody comes to mind. It's Jesus. Jesus had all these qualities. So we're going to do something. It's a little risky this morning. But I want y'all to read with me out loud. And instead of putting love is or wherever love is, we're going to put Jesus' name. And we're going to read that together and see how that sounds. How does that make us feel when we read Jesus' name? So let's read together. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Does that sound like it fits? Well, absolutely it does. Because when we read the Gospels, we think of all the different opportunities that Jesus took to be patient, to be kind, to forgive others, to not keep a record of wrong. On the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What? What kind of love is that? That's agape love. Yes, they do know what they're doing. He goes, but they really don't. If they really knew who I was, they wouldn't do this. So that fits there when we read that. Now we're going to do the hard part. We're going to put instead of love there, instead of Jesus, we're going to put I. And we're going to read this. I know y'all are going, I ain't reading that. That's awkward. But just listen to it as it comes out and, and feel how it feels. I am patient. I am kind. I am not envious, I do not boast, I am not proud, I do not dishonor others, I am not self-seeking, I am not easily angered, I don't keep record of wrongs, I do not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth, I always protect, I always trust, I always hope, I always persevere. That's a little more awkward, isn't it? Because I'm going, I don't know. Probably somebody next to you going, no, you don't. (laughs) Now, if somebody 
put your name or my name in there and read those out, would they go, Craig is patient. Have you been around him? Craig is kind of, yeah, sometimes in front of everybody at church. But man, Craig keeps records of wrong. Man, if you ever do something to him, he never forgets. He's like an elephant, man. He forgets it. Now, we're laughing, but we understand that when we change it from Jesus to us, the reality of, of our humanness, we can't do those things, can we? I can't be all those things. I mean, this week, when it's down to the last dessert, I'm going to want it. I'm going to want the last crescent roll or the last scoop of uh, uh, sweet potato souffle. Anybody like that? I want that. My, I want that. I want it to be me. I don't want somebody else to get it. That's just how I operate. But that's why we need agape love, don't we? And that doesn't come by accident. It doesn't come by trying harder and going, well, this year I'm going to have agape love. It means you finally allow the Spirit to work within you, the Holy Spirit of Jesus to work within you. And you need that because we are human. We're going to make mistakes. We don't naturally have that. That's why we need Jesus and that agape love. But when we read that with his name, and he goes, he had that. We saw how he lived. And if he can live that way and he lives inside of me, then maybe I can start doing that. And that's what Paul, I think, is trying to get us to understand, that we need that. <clears throat> then Paul reminds them and he reminds us that there's going to be a day that will come when all of these, those uh, gifts that we're trying to practice and maybe trying to get better at or whatever and trying to impress people with them sometime or make ourselves, none of that will matter anymore because we're going to be with God in, in fellowship. Listen, I'm just going to read that last part again. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I taught like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Think about that for a minute. There's going to be a day when we see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now the three, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. Now is Paul speaking about a time that's going to come when everybody gets it and then we are all mature? Or is he talking about a finality in heaven when Jesus finally comes back? And I would say yes. What do you mean yes? Is it either or? I'm saying yes. He wants us to be pursuing that till he comes trying to show that agape love, but one day it's all going to come clear. Do we have, not have some questions in our lives right now about what's been happening in our world? I mean, aside from all our personal stuff, some of y'all got personal stuff going on emotionally, physically, spiritually, just without the pandemic and without all the, the political hatred and all that junk that's going on. But when we think about we have questions. What does all this mean, God? You know all this, but, but I don't understand. I thought we were supposed to be coming together, but we're, we're, we seem to be divided. And I thought, the, I thought the coronavirus was getting better, and now it seems to be spiking again. What is going on? We think about these things. We, we ask about these. But in the city of Corinth, remember he mentioned about the mirror. We will one day see. Now we only see as a reflection in a mirror, and it's not real clear. Now, what's interesting is in, in Corinth, they were famous for producing these bronze mirrors, and it was a piece of bronze which they would shine and, 
and make it really shiny so you could see your reflection. They didn't have the kind of mirrors that we have that are very clear. Those hadn't been invented yet, but there was a piece of, of, uh, of uh, what did I say, bronze, and they would shine it. You know, like you wax your car, like a black car. Any of y'all have a black car, and you, you shine it up, and you look, oh, I can see my reflection. And it's clear, but it's nothing like a mirror. So he's saying, we kind of understand that. Um, that you only can see a reflection, but it's not the clarity that it will be one day when you finally meet Jesus face to face. Can you imagine that? How that's going to be? And listen to what uh, the great Charles Spurgeon said about this. He says, if we knew more of our own sinfulness, we might be driven to despair. If we knew more of God's glory, we might die of terror. If we had more understanding, unless we had equivalent capacity to employ it, we might be filled with conceit and tormented with ambition. But up there we shall have our minds and our systems strengthened to receive more without the damage that would come to us here from overleaping the boundaries of order, supremely appointed and divinely regulated. That's pretty good, isn't it? He realizes that one day it's all going to make sense, but until then we got to trust. we got to have that agape love. Verse 12 should inspire you, give you hope, and allow you to endure here on this earth. You get excited about seeing Jesus face to face. Getting excited about knowing fully. One day it's going to make sense and God's going to go, okay, well, you know when this happened and this happened, this happened. Yeah, well, this was because you're going to go, what? Of course. But I couldn't conceptualize that as a human without you, because I don't think like you, God. I wanted to, but I didn't. And we will fully know these things. And then it says we will be fully known. Is that a good thing to be fully known? God knows you now. Think about that. God knows us fully. He knows all our good stuff. He knows all our bad stuff. He knows everything about us. I can hide it from you. I can hide it from people, and no one will ever know. But God knows, and guess what? He loves us anyway. He still has agape love for us, even though he knows all that stuff. And he gave his life so that we might be restored to him. That's the relationship. That's the fellowship that God wants with us. And yes, it can be difficult on this earth because it's a sinful, fallen world. But we continue to try to pursue that agape love with him and with others until we finally fully know everything and are fully known. The good news of the gospel is that God does know us fully, like I said. The best and the worst, and yet he loves us and calls us into relationship with him anyway. 